Welcome to Better Friendships, a podcast all about creating, growing, and maintaining friendships that sustain, fulfill, and enrich our lives. We're your hosts, Julie and Katie. And today we're going to pull together the pieces that we've already been talking about this season and discuss one of the major reasons we need better friendships in our lives, loneliness. This is also going to be the last episode of our first season. Which feels crazy. It really does. But I think this would be sort of the ideal episode to talk about loneliness and how it impacts us. Because that really does show just how important friendships are to both women and humans in general. And humans are fundamentally social creatures. I think these last couple of years have really demonstrated that. Oh, certainly. And I think that's especially true of women in particular. So I wanted to circle back um, to something we talked about at the very start of this season, which is the concept of tend and befriend, which applies predominantly to women. In studies of stress responses, it was primarily male animals, voles, that scientists were looking at. And so the idea of fight or flight as the primary stress response took hold. But once scientists actually started studying female animals, they found that women don't don't respond to stress by fighting or fleeing. They respond by tending and befriending. Women build relationships and safety nets in response to stress and fear. We make friends and keep them close. Exactly. And more than that, humans in general are actually just wired to gather together. Yes. So a while ago, I read a book by Vivek Murthy, who is the current Surgeon General of the United States. The book was called Together, and I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before in this podcast, but In it, he talks about the importance of having social connections and how we as a species actually evolved to be social. He says, as humans developed, evolutionary pressure selected for more cooperation because of the advantages it conferred. So that's stuff like having help on hand to raise children, having safety in numbers. So he continues, so we evolved to have brains that are wired to seek connection, to focus our thoughts on other people, and to define ourselves by the people around us. Side note, but I think related, we've talked about oxytocin and how our brains are actually wired so that we are happy, chemically speaking, in our brains when we're with our friends. So I just was reading a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And I think it takes this idea a little bit further And it talks about how we as humans are wired to create distinct groups. This means that essentially our brains naturally look for people that we consider to be like us in some way. And of course, we have seen this in history, how this has played out along lines of race or religion or class. And on a societal level, we use social and cultural norms to create like and not like groups. But this also happens on an individual level as well. And if you remember from earlier in the season, we talked about how girls use friendship as a space to create self. It's that old mammalian part of our brain that sorts through people who are like and not like us to create a distinct group of people that we then choose to interact with. So basically, 
we're evolutionary, evolutionarily wired to make friends and more importantly, to have a group of friends that we feel at home with because they are in some way like us. I want to hone in on something that you reminded me of that we have talked about before, this idea that girls use friendship as a safe space to create their own sense of self and to develop who they are. Women do that through talk. And we've discussed before how it's always been important for women to have spaces to talk, spaces without men, spaces to gossip and to share news like quilting circles, which we talked about a few episodes ago. I just recently read The Heroine with a Thousand and One Faces. And in that book, Maria Totter talks about women as storytellers and how society has treated the stories and the ways of talking that are primarily passed down by women, which is to say they've not always treated those things kindly. But it's so clear reading that book that women connect to each other and to others just generally through stories and through talking. You know, that makes me think of the original meaning of the word gossip. Are you aware of what a gossip originally was? I am, but tell me about it. So a gossip was actually a female companion. It was somebody that was there to keep a woman company. And this could have been not just um, an upper class woman, but this could have been a woman who'd recently given birth or who was about to give birth. But it was the idea that there was a female companion and often they were um, they were hired on to do this. Like it was considered kind of like a job. Um, but somehow along the way, that got kind of twisted into what we now consider like gossip is like idle chatter and it's kind of nasty. And I think that kind of goes with what you were saying that, you know, the ways in which women talk and and communicate and pass on stories gets a little vilified. Mm hmm. Uh, But talk and communication is really built into humans as a way of connecting. And I think this is especially true of women who have cultural and biological hardwiring to meet others through language and the spoken word. And there's evidence that language, which is a major way that we communicate with each other, evolved earlier than we had previously theorized. Um, A prominent linguist, uh, John McCorder, is quoted as saying, It is highly likely that human language emerged in Africa with the emergence of either Homo sapiens or possibly earlier species of Homo. Supporting this is the fact that there is a gene called FOXP2 that is connected with the ability to use language and it traces back 100,000 years, long before the 50,000 year mark that Big Bang theorists designated as the birth of language. You know I'm a nerd for language. That's super interesting. So we've evolved to be social. We're happiest when we're being social and the roots of how we communicate. So how we allow ourselves to be social might well go back further than we thought. I'm interested then to discuss the impacts of not being social. I know this is a podcast about women's friendships, but I read a really sad statistic that suicide rates are on the rise for middle-aged divorced men. Since wives tend to be the ones to organize a social life, men can really struggle after a divorce to find meaningful ways to interact with other people and to be social. And going back to Vivek Murthy, he noted 
that while both men and women experience loneliness at about equal rates, they don't necessarily express or experience loneliness in the same way. You sent me a good quote from him that speaks to women in particular and how they experience loneliness. And I think we can also link it back to your earlier point about divorced men and wives taking on the social planning. So Vivek Murphy says, this nurturing role can make women a powerful force for building connections and weaving our social fabric. Yet when relationships falter or fail, girls and women tend to blame themselves. The resulting shame and loneliness are even more acute when women have the sense of self in service of those relationships. He also pointed out that when we feel lonely and see others having fun, we don't feel like we can reach out because we're afraid of being labeled as a social outcast. And that just makes us feel ashamed and even more lonely. It's like a vicious cycle, which on the one hand is probably the most trite and silly thing I could have said, but on the other hand feels really true. And I think especially right now with the pandemic and the uncertainty about how to safely be with other people and how to safely be social, I worry that there are people who are getting lost in the cracks. Yeah. I wonder what the actual statistics are, but I know I've read that there has been an uptick in numbers for people experiencing anxiety and depression, and I'm sure there's a link to being apart from friends and family. We've also talked a little bit about social media over the course of this season and how it can be tough to see friends presenting themselves as living their best life online. We've talked about how it can be isolating and cause anxiety, and it makes us just feel really bad and lonely. We think we're connected when we're on social media, but it can actually make us feel even more divided and alone. Yeah. And I wonder too, with the pandemic, that's how a lot of people are connecting. So that's probably really hard. And there's something else that Vivek Murthy said too. I know I keep mentioning that book. I really liked it, you guys. It's definitely worth a read. He makes it really clear what the stakes are when it comes to loneliness on sort of a larger societal level. He says, so many of the problems we face as a society from addiction to violence to disengagement among workers and students to political polarization are worsened by loneliness and disconnection. Building a more connected world holds the key to solving these and many more of the personal and societal problems confronting us today. And at this point, I think we've circled back to our main purpose in this first season, which has been looking at why we need better friendships in our lives. We are wired for it as humans, and we suffer when we don't have good friendships and strong social connections. So then what can we do to combat loneliness and to have those social connections that we need? Clearly, having friendships online isn't the best solution for anybody. So what can we do? One thing that Priya Parker talks about in her book, The Art of Gathering, is creating rituals. Those things that we do regularly with our friends, like birthdays and girls' nights. It's important to create those moments and to hold that space and to make those memories and to also let them happen. You might have a structure, but to also let them happen organically so they can make memories. 
Though Shasta Nelson talks about that too, and we have mentioned Shasta Nelson so many times over the course of this first season. Um, but she talks about the idea that to make and maintain friends, you have to get out and do things that connect you to other people. Like when you go to the gym or an art class or yoga or whatever, noticing who's there with you and building connections with that consistency. Who's there with you every week? That's how we find friends. And I think one thing that we might also want to do as we're building friendships and as we're trying to strengthen the friendships we already have is to kind of look at the ways that we quote unquote do friendship. I've noticed that there's kind of a a cultural trend um, that a lot of time with our girlfriends is spent at happy hour or getting lunch or checking out a new restaurant, but it involves a lot of sitting and talking which makes sense. We just were talking about how women use talk, especially talk amongst other women, as a way of connecting, as a way of finding self. So it makes sense that we want to sit down and we want to have a good chat. We want to have a good laugh. Sometimes we even want to have a good cry. But that's a very static activity. And I want you to just take a second And I just want you to pan back among your memories, scan them. And how many of them are you at a table talking? Now, you might remember like, oh, yeah, well, I just went to lunch and we sat down and we talked. But do you really remember how that impacted your friendship? Is that a friendship memory for you? Or is it just, oh, yeah, I I happen to remember that we did that thing. So what I'm suggesting is we move to creating more dynamic activities and doing more dynamic activities with our friends to create those memories. So go to a paint and sip, something that you're, you're going to be active with a friend and you're going to be actively creating a memory and you get to still sit and chat sometimes. Do you remember when we were in college and we used to just go and walk at night? Like we would walk around campus, we would walk through town and we would do this in like really cold weather. (laughs) That's some of my favorite memories of our friendships are just like the walks that we took. Yeah, but like of our friendship, all that walking that we did and the time we saw the snake that was a stick that was a snake. I don't know. It's just like, I, I think you're really onto something there, this idea of doing something active. I think it helps. I really do. And and you know, nothing, nothing against lunch with the girls. I love lunch with the girls. Don't get me wrong. But as much as I love those lunches with the girls and, and I leave them often feeling so seen uh, for myself and I, I feel like my emotions have been held, we're not creating new memories there. We're keeping the friendship in the same place that it currently is. And that's okay. But if you're looking for a better friendship, you want to improve your friendship, you can't keep it where it is. You got to move it up. And I think that's a way to do it. And I think that brings us to season two. I think you're right. Uh, We've known for a long time that for season two of this podcast, we wanted to dig into how to be a better friend, both to ourselves and to others. And this is kind of a good jumping off point for that. We know we need friends. We know that strong friendships make us more secure. 
more happy and more fulfilled. And we know that the impacts of not having those social connections can be really dire. Yeah, it feels like a natural next step to look at how to be a better friend. Like we've looked at why we need better friendships and next we'll explore in depth how to create them. Yes. We're going to be looking at things like creating ritual and community, but we're also going to look at things like love languages, the Enneagram, positive self-talk. And again, we're going to go back to the basics with Shasta Nelson's friendship triangle. I'm so excited for season two. Me too, friend. We'll put out an announcement once we're ready to start posting season two episodes. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to start working on it immediately. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening and for going along with us on this journey. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're ever inclined to, you can always reach out to us with questions, stories, thoughts, even your disagreements. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at betterfriendships.com. That's I-N-F-O at betterfriendships.com. You can find us on Instagram at better underscore friendships and also on Facebook at Better Friendships. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. And until next time, remember, there are tall ships and small ships. There are ships that sail the sea, but the best ships are friendships and may they always be.